0: What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host
1: of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for
0: a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left.
1: Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Week 13 Ringer Gambling Show Friday edition with my boy Joe House. We're going to be breaking down this entire slate. First, we're going to recap Thursday night football before we dive into some of the best games on Sunday. House, we just saw the Dallas Cowboys in what was one of the most thrilling games on Thursday night that we've seen in some time uh, take on the Seattle Seahawks and ultimately win that game. What are some of your biggest takeaways? What do you find interesting this game?
0: Well, Sharpie, the a number one takeaway is how good is the football when the guys have a chance to rest? They had, we had a full week, both Dallas and Seattle played last Thursday, had a full week's worth of rest. And by golly, we got a a great football game on a Thursday night. It's a miracle. Uh, It was a shootout. We've been overdue for a shootout. And I think it kind of tells us something. We know that the league has in its designs an 18-game schedule with extra bye week built in. Let's, if we're gonna insist on these Thursday night games, then let's give the teams a chance to rest so we get some quality football, Sharpie. Not one punt! You know who was also up to the task? The gosh darn referees! They wanted their moment in the sun. 18 effing penalties for 250 yards. I guess that makes up for no punts, I'm not sure, but I I enjoyed the football, Warren Sharp. Yeah, and look, here's the
1: thing with the penalties for me. Normally, I get on the refs absolutely, but what I want is just a properly called game based on the rules. That way, at least I know that we're getting things clean. So I don't want shit to be called that shouldn't be called. I don't want shit to be called uh, shit not to be called that should be. In this game, a lot of these replays showed types of interference, types of holding or illegal contact or what have you. Both of these teams are historically this season highly penalized. They both have trouble with penalties. And the fact that there were a lot of flags thrown didn't exactly shock me. Al Michaels, Tried to be funny, but to me, at least, I mean, I'm, I know a lot of people on Twitter did find him funny, but to me, at least it was annoying because these were penalties. I mean, Herb Street had to come in and say like, well, yeah, that actually was a penalty. And yeah, that, that sort of was one. So like, I, it, it sucks that there's a lot of them, but if the defense is just time and time again, going to be doing dumb shit or the Cowboys are going to keep jumping off sides every single play. I mean, the refs have to call what's actually a foul. So, um, in general, I was okay with what they were calling. I know some people hated the refs tonight. I didn't really feel that way, although they weren't perfect. Um But what I found interesting in this game house was just the Dallas Cowboys defense. I'm looking here at the fact, yes, they eked out this win, Next week is the big game. Next week, the game against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's going to be the huge one. They get the benefit of having extra rest. But boy, did Charbonnet and that offensive line of the Seattle Seahawks do some damage up front to the Dallas Cowboys defensive line. And I'm wondering what the Philadelphia Eagles now with their offensive line are going to do in 10 days time. To your other point about giving these guys extra rest and we finally got a good game as a result of that, I did go back and look at – because every Thursday after Thanksgiving, they've been doing this where they let the teams then play the next Thursday so they don't have to have a short week – Um Unfortunately, most of those other games weren't quite as good as this one. Most of those other games were still like the the 23 to 10 variety and, and lower scoring and a lot of unders. So the extra rest didn't actually uh, turn into these high scoring affairs like we saw tonight. However, that being said, I mean, I'm in complete agreement. If we're going to be doing this buy thing and we want to have better games on Thursday, I absolutely suggest that if you got two teams, they play week four, they both have a bye week five, and then they come back and in week six, that's they both play on the Thursday night. They play on the Thursday night game after their bye, so they all have had the same amount of rest leading into it. They get their full ability to have a bye week, and then they just start the next week a little bit earlier because they got practice. They're not on a short week. And then they have like that mini bye leading into the next week. It's it's a perfect setup. The league absolutely needs to go to that model in the future. Even if you don't add an extra bye week, that's the model to do. The teams that are going to play in Thursday, weeks five, both have byes week four and boom, it's perfect. And I don't see, I don't think any of those teams would complain about something like that. So That would be my take on that one house.
0: I want to pose one sort of question to you, your reaction before we move on from this game. And that is, you know, this was among the various text threads going on. Mike McCarthy has been calling a pretty good ball game uh, since, since the Dallas bye week on the offensive side of the ball. And I kind of made the joke, you know, whose stock has dropped more than Kellen Moore's stock. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> does Dallas miss? Does Dallas miss Kelly? Cal- 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 he's not exactly covering himself in glory in San Diego. Now, there are myriad explanations for what's going on on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I said San Diego. Obviously, I meant the Chargers. I meant Los Angeles, but I, they'll, they'll forever no be harm, San no Diego foul. to me. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I, I have been all the way up to the moment where on third down, basically the game clenching play. They throw the ball on a fade route to the end zone. Now it is CD in a jump ball situation, but at that point you're not playing for a touchdown. You're playing to beat the clock. And the way to beat the clock is to run the effing football. But other than that, the the stretch that we've seen out of McCarthy, it's been pretty, I thought, especially tonight, I was pretty impressed with the play calling. Do you have any, any sense, any reaction to the stretch uh, of football we've seen out of Dallas and McCarthy as a play caller?
1: Uh, yeah, I I think that there's been some outside involvement and I can't say much more than that, but I will tell you that the Dallas Cowboys have gotten back on track. Um, what do you know? At the beginning of the year, Dak Prescott wasn't running the football at all. I think I posted an article. I talked about the red zone inefficiency and I mentioned that they've had like, what was it, like 60 or 70 plays inside the red zone and Dak Prescott had like two runs and how egregious this was. And then. Two weeks later, all of a sudden, Dak Prescott's running down inside the red zone and he's been running ever since, not just in the red zone, but scrambling a lot more, utilizing his legs a lot more. Um, Now, lo and behold, the Cowboys are setting records house. The Cowboys have now scored. And and this was part of one of the bets that I had on the game tonight. I bet the Cowboys first half team total over 13 and a half points. Um, Dallas Cowboys have now scored. And I, I, did a video for this before the game. Um, I talked a lot about it. I posted it on Twitter as well, or X as well. Cowboys have scored at least seven points in the first quarter in six straight games that was prior to this one, which was the longest streak for the Cowboys since 1992, the season their dynasty started. They won that first Super Bowl and started that early 90s dynasty. They have now hit seven straight games of seven plus points in the first quarter. That's the first such streak in franchise history. In addition, they have scored at least 17 points now in six straight first halves. That is the only such streak in Dallas Cowboys franchise history. It's been accomplished only 11 other times in NFL history. All like the whole fucking history of the league that a team has gone 17 plus points for 11, sorry, for, uh, six straight games in the first half. So Dallas is, is cranked up. And if you look at Dak, I also just tweeted this out. He's the first quarterback since 2020 to play six straight games and throw at least two touchdown passes and total over those six games, 20 touchdown passes. I mean, he's been on fire. They've been coming out, throwing the football more. They've changed up what they're doing in the red zone and they're letting Dak run the football a little bit more. Uh, they definitely made tweaks to their offense. Uh, it certainly has resulted in them looking better. It's going to be interesting to see how they go up against the Eagles juggernaut next week. But before the Eagles get to that game, they got to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Now, that is a tease because we're not starting with that game house. That is the main course. That is the big turkey that we're going to break down uh post Thanksgiving here. That's the huge game. First, we got to t- handle an appetizer. And this is just a little teaser appetizer before we tease the actual game. I want to talk to you a little bit about this Indianapolis Colts, Tennessee Titans game. It's a divisional game. Uh, most people think it's garbage. They don't want to, Talk about it, so we're not going to hit it very hard, but I do want to get your thoughts on the potential of utilizing the Tennessee Titans as a home underdog, catching one point. You have to use a six-and-a-half-point teaser to get them up through the seven because that's the only viable route to you take when you're utilizing a teaser. You cannot stop at seven, get through the seven. Six-and-a-half-point teaser gets them up to seven-and-a-half points. Pair them with somebody else. We'll talk more about this later, but what are your thoughts on the Titans versus the Colts?
0: Yeah, well, the, my my thought is uh, hopefully everybody hangs in because we have a really great breakdown of the Niners and the Eagles. But look, we're trying to make everybody money on this show. So when we start off with the Amuz bouche that looks like you called it the booty game of the week. I mean, I it, I don't really have <laughs> any basis for arguing, but we are looking for value in terms of a teaser leg because the the, the board doesn't have a ton of it. And the other um, sort of aspect of this now, Tennessee on FanDuel right now, as we record is getting one and a half and that half point is crucial to the point you just made. So we will, we, we urge everybody to to, to check and, and make sure that you're getting through seven. But the, the um, interesting thing to me is the idea of Tennessee getting points at home, Indianapolis, is on the cusp of making the playoffs as we sit here right now. I believe they are in the playoffs, just like everybody expected. The Shane Steichen, uh, story with this offense has been, uh, uh nothing short of, 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 amazing, a miracle Gardner Minshew, you know, what he's, what he's doing with his old buddy and, you know, Tennessee's undefeated at home. I mean, they they beat a whole bunch of good teams. So I, I, I don't really, um, have uh, any interest in this game other than the idea of trying to find a good combination to go with what I think is the most popular teaser of the week based on what I've heard from everybody, which is Jacksonville uh, who are laying eight and a half against their, their home against the Bengals. You get them down to two and a half, but you're looking to pair them with somebody and it's, the Titans look as, as, as good as anybody to me, the games that they've, they've won at home are the chargers, Bengals, Falcons, and Panthers. Now two of those four are, are kind of legit. And they've also, you know, among their losses, they have seven losses, but three of them have been one score. They're just not that far away. It's Vrabel at home. It's Vrabel as a dog. Is this a good teaser leg Sharpie? I think so. Um, the Titans are five and one straight up and against the spread the last
1: six games versus the Colts. On normal rest, the Titans have not lost to the Colts by more than seven points in their last eight games. That's back to 2018. Um, The key aspect of this game to me is that the Titans' defense, the way you want to attack them, is through the air because they rank 28th versus the pass and number two versus the run. Just last week, though, the Colts played a worse pass defense in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were down three key starters defensively on the second and third le- levels. Gardner Minshew completes just 59% of his passes, 6.6 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, one interception. The only reason the Colts won that game is because they ran for 155 yards at 5.7 yards per carry. That was with Jonathan Taylor helping out. Taylor is not going to be playing this game. That was also versus the number 24 ranked run defense of the Bucks. That's not the run defense of the Titans. They have the number two ranked run defense. So you're not going to have that efficiency on the ground. And then you look at like same year track record of the Colts. They've won just two games all year by more than seven points. Week two versus the Houston Texans before the Texans knew what was what and designed their offense around the strengths of C.J. Stroud. And then against the Carolina Panthers, which I mean, who isn't lately beating the Carolina Panthers by a touchdown? And the last point to this is... The Indianapolis Colts, the way that if you're the Tennessee Titans, you want to be able to run the football so that you can support Will Levis, inexperienced Will Levis, doesn't have a lot of success. Obviously inexperienced quarterback. Well, Grover Stewart, key run defender for the Colts, he's suspended. His last game of suspension is this week. He will be back next week. Is the last time to bet against the Colts run defense is this game right here. Since he's been suspended, they rank. 30th in success rate, 27th in yards per carry, allowing 4.7 and 31st in EPA per rush. And they were much better when he was there to start the season. They actually ranked number seven in yards per carry. So they dropped from number seven to number 27. In the five games since he's been suspended, this is the sixth and final game. Derrick Henry should have the ability to run Mike Vrabel. Oh, uh, look, Shane Steichen has been a great coach. Definitely impressive. Um, not quite of a mismatch as compared to what Mike Vrabel had over Frank Reich, but I do still think that Mike Vrabel at home as a dog with a motivated squad, they're going to be coming out to play and it would take, you know, a bunch of turnovers in my opinion for the Tennessee Titans to lose this game by more than a touchdown? Totally possible, but that's what it would take. Unlikely, but possible. I'm going to bet against that happening.
0: I like it. And Levis, uh, 2-0 and at home. So you like him in, in the friendly confines. And we know that that they'll game plan to protect him from himself, right? They're, they're not going to um, put him in harm's way by, by having him tossing the ball all over the yard and generating... Turnover. So let's take this booty and turn it into a beauty. And it's going to be a beauty teaser, the booty beauty teaser of the week. Say that 10 times really fast. Let's get into a beauty, though. And that's why you get paid the big bucks, Joe House. You got on the first shot. (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, let's see if we can get this next game on the first shot because it is amazing. We've had it circled. Everybody's had it circled. It's San Francisco going to Philadelphia. Week 13, lucky week 13 for the Niners. They hope they have a rest advantage. They have a health advantage. And through some highly bizarre change in in betting behavior, they are favored going into Philadelphia. The only team in the league with only one loss is an underdog at home. So let's start with that. Help us map out what the hell happened in these markets to get us to the San Francisco 49ers laying points on the road to the only team in the NFL with one loss. Yeah. And ironically, um,
1: Earlier this summer in my book, which is what I picked up and I'm flipping the pages to, I wanted to look at what the line was. There's another game that we're going to hit for scanning the board. We wanted to get to this one first. Uh, but this one also has a very similar flip in favorite by the similar mirror image across the zero. Earlier this summer, the Philadelphia Eagles were favored by three points at home in this game. Now they're catching. A full three points at home in this game against San Francisco 49ers. And what have the Eagles done to deserve that? They are 10 and one. They've dropped only one game. The Niners are what? Eight and three. Um, so why should the Philadelphia Eagles be catching points here? What happened? Well, to your point, this game was a pick on Sunday night, started getting bet on Sunday night. Monday morning, you could still get this at San Francisco minus one, minus one and a half at most spots. Uh, early Monday morning, and then it started to leak. And and more guys, after a couple of betting groups came in and whacked it to minus one, one and a half, then some other groups piled on, were hitting it at two and two and a half, stayed at two and a half for a while. And now here we are entering the wee hours of Friday morning, and it shifted to the San Francisco 49ers laying Three points at most shops. Now, FanDuel is still one of the shops that's two and a half on the 49ers at minus 118. But as I look across the landscape of all the different boards displayed on my odd screen right now, I see only threes out there. So FanDuel is still two and a half. Um, Why is this? Well, let me let me see this. I'm not going to say why is this. The reason why, obviously, House, is because a lot of the sharper groups and the betting guys that have the large amounts of stacks to lay on these types of games and invest in this professionally view the San Francisco 49ers as the more well-built team when healthy and the better team when healthy, whereas the Philadelphia Eagles, though a very good team, are not quite a 10-1 team, that's been helped by a lot of other factors, including some late game luck going their way to win a lot of these close games late. And so that's kind of where I want to start with this one and break down what I perceive the differences in the Eagles from 2022 to 2023. But before I do that, any response to that from you and, and any thoughts on kind of where we are with the number and what you early thoughts are? Did you bet this game already? Are you waiting to bet something? And kind of what are your thoughts on it?
0: Well, by the time that I, you know, sort of clicked in and started focusing on on week 13, it was already at two and a half San Francisco. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of okay with laying it. I, I think the combination of what we've seen out of San Francisco with Trent Williams healthy and with Debo Samuel's healthy and the numbers that the offense has generated, plus the I, I maybe now it's not underrated anymore. Uh, maybe it's now properly rated. The addition of Chase Young is a real thing because it cre- it creates this opportunity down the line for uh, Hargrove and 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 Bosa to not be double teamed relentlessly, and and you know it's it's a it's changing the efficacy of the Niners in terms of, of their pass rush. So they they played last Thursday. They have an extra couple of days of rest. And the Eagles, because of the overtime and because of the time of possession, they were on the absolute wrong side of time of possession. Their defense was effectively on the field for, they were it was 92 snaps and like nearly 40 minutes. So I know that they get a full week to to recover from that. But I mean, it just feels like a lot of advantages for San Francisco. If you're trying to slice this thing up, I I don't have any problem really laying the two and a half. Yeah. Now, obviously um,
1: it's, it is a full week, but the key element here is that the 49ers have even longer than a full week because they played last Thursday. So the, the Eagles Every, we are creatures of routine. Uh Like me, handicapping games, I've got a strict schedule of what I do Sunday nights, what I do Mondays, like everything is a routine. Players, much, much, much more so. You know, coaches, these are the routines, rehab routines, all these types of things. And when you play extra time, you go to overtime, I won't say it like throws off everything, but it definitely makes some of the processes a little bit harder because like maybe you want to give the guys a little bit more rest than you otherwise would because you went to overtime and you wouldn't have done that. And the guys need to spend more time in the rehab room because more of the guys got injured. And we'll talk a little bit about Zach Cunningham being a big loss for the team potentially uh, because he has yet to practice this week. I'm just looking at the injury report for today to confirm that and he has not. Uh, but before we go into that, like, I think that if you are looking to attack this game the way that I look to attack it is I preferred the inverse of what I always used to play last year, which was the Eagles first half. In this case, I looked to the San Francisco 49ers first half. And the reason to me is crystal clear. It's because this Eagles offense is not the same type of Eagles offense that we saw last year. And if you simply look at the full game stats, you're not gonna see it. You're not gonna see it because they're so close In EPA per play, they're 100th of a decimal point different, and they ranked number four last year and they ranked number five this year. So you're not going to see it there. You're not going to see it in yards per play where they're very similar and both within top 10. You're not going to see it in success rate because they were number three last year and number six this year and within two percentage points of one another in terms of success rate. That's not where you're going to find it. Think back to last year. Last year, this Philadelphia Eagles team did dick in the second half of these games. That's because they built these massive leads in the first half. And so when we went through and started handicapping the Eagles in the run to the postseason, what we said is, You can't look at their full game. You got to throw out the fourth quarter. They were just skating by. They're dialing everything back. This is a team. They were a pass first team in the first half. Then they just ran the ball in the second half, but they're not an actual run team. They love to throw the football. They just are able to run it because they build these massive leads so quickly in these games. They prioritize jumping out to big leads. They prioritize pulling their quarterback late or doing nothing but hand the ball off late in these games. So if you looked at the full game stats last year didn't paint the picture as to how explosive and efficient and outstandingly awesome this offense was last season. This season is a totally different story. So let's look at some of those first half statistics. This year, they're averaging only plus .03 EPA per play in the first half. That's 11th. Last year, they were plus .15. That was number two. This year, they're averaging only 4.9 yards per play in the first half. That was number, that's number 22. Last year, they were number two at 6.4 yards per play. And the numbers get even more dynamic when we, t- or, uh, more disparate when we talk about the explosive play rate. Last year, they ranked number one in the first half of games. 15% of their plays produced explosive gains. This year, not number one, they're number 24. We're talking ninth worst as opposed to number one best in explosive play rate. Uh, Their percentage of completions that gained 10 plus yards. Last year, they were number two. 50% of pass completions in the first half gained 10 plus yards. This year, only 36% do. That's number 26. They dropped from number two to 26. So what did that do to them on the field? Well, last year, they led these games at halftime house by the best margin of any team in the league. They led by an average of 7.1 points at halftime. That allowed them to cool their jets in the second half. This year, what is the average lead that they have at halftime? It's below zero. They don't actually have an average lead at halftime. On average, they are trailing by 0.36 points per game. That ranks 15th in the NFL, as opposed to the best margin. So they're having to come from behind in these games. And when teams are coming from behind, I don't want to say it's garbage stats because they're not out of these games. They're not down by 14 plus points, but they're down and trailing in these games, and they have to put the pedal to the metal all the way through. So the bottom line here is this Eagles offense, it's, it's not the personnel because the personnel are largely identical. We know that they lost Dallas Goddard, but for the most part, they are largely identical. The issue is simply the coaching staff is not coming out with a priority to be aggressive, be explosive and put up points quickly and early in these games. They're playing to hang around in these games to start. And by getting the best shot from great offenses that they go up against, which they've gone up against a number of good offenses, they end up falling in a hole. And that's just only natural. In addition to, so that's the, the, the large reason of why. I attacked the first half rather than the full game because of the way the Eagles are struggling. And then if you want to look at the Eagles defense, an opponent's first four drives of the game, which basically encompass like to the midway of the second quarter, maybe, uh, the start of the second quarter, somewhere in that neighborhood, you're, you're usually getting a couple drives a quarter or so. Opponents are averaging the, uh, 2.4 points per drive against the Philadelphia Eagles. That ranks number 27. The Eagles defense ranks number 27. The Eagles defense ranks number 26 in touchdown rate per drive. They rank number 23 in scores per drive. They rank number 21 in yards per drive allowed. So their defense ranks 21st or worst in all these drive metrics. The 49ers offense with Kyle Shanahan dialing things up, they ranked number one in points per drive over their first six drives of the game. Now, I could isolate just the first one drive or the first two drives, you know, just look at the script. They're outstanding there as well. But I wanted to expand that to showcase like how great they are just over the entirety of the first half of these games and how good he is consistently drive after drive after drive number one in touchdowns per drive number one in score rate per drive number one in red zone trips per drive number one in total yards per drive at 41 yards per drive over the first six per game uh six drives per game on average so they are just dominating early the eagles defense is struggling the eagles offense is not like it was last year and now house i'm mostly concerned with you got guys like they, they, they got desperate. They lost Nicole Dean. So they went out and they signed Zach Cunningham and Zach Cunningham left last, last week's loss to the Bills with a hamstring injury. He hasn't practiced yet this week. What did Zach Cunningham do for this defense? Well, obviously he's a linebacker, but. He has played a ton of snaps, 83% of snaps, most of any linebacker, third most of anybody on the defense. He ranks number two on the team with 71 tackles to go along with the most pass breakups of any off-ball linebacker. And if he can't go, they're down to like an undrafted rookie or one other player who obviously is not good enough to be playing right now. That's why the Eagles got so desperate. They tried to get Shaquille Leonard to sign with them this week before this game against the Niners because they know they're going up against Jordan. George Kittle, who's going to eat them alive over to the middle of the field, potentially, unless they have somebody. But Shaquille Leonard wants to, he wanted to see the way that these games this weekend played out before he made a decision where he was going to sign. So he's not signing until after this weekend. Um, I'm just worried about the Eagles defense, honestly, House, in this matchup. I do think the Eagles ultimately can put up some points. I cannot wait to watch this game. I think it's going to be an absolute thriller. I hope the rain doesn't dampen it literally, but I do believe that even if it does, we'll still see a game kind of like we saw with the Buffalo Bills in that it's not going to derail everything completely. If there's a little bit of rain, I don't think there's going to be any wind that's really going to accompany it. And I don't anticipate, at least right now, a massive downpour either. So pay attention to the weather report, though, closer to game time. But I like the the Niners in the first half, and I do think that they can come out and score a few points here early
0: in this game. So I want to pick up on your observation, um, this last thing having to do with the weather and this injury situation. I didn't get a chance to look. Fletcher Cox did not practice Wednesday. Was he limited to participant today? Or is he no did uh, not no-go? practice today? Did so not look, practice man, today. You put Fletcher Cox and Cunningham together. That's a whammy. And then Lane Johnson is in an LP status, limited practice. But he look, went to his- an FP. He went to a full today. FP. Here's the thing. He has a groin. His issue is a groin. If it's wet, and this is why I think, you know, they waited all the way up until he tried to give it a go potentially against the bills. You can't mess around on that surface. He's too important. And these, these games, they're, they're, they're important games, but you know, it's not worth uh, injuring that groin in a manner that, that impacts the, the playoff, uh, you know, Ambition of, of the Eagles. So I, I think we need to pay attention to Lane Johnson all the way up to four o'clock on, on Sunday, To be to be honest with you. And all of those guys, all of those names are material impact players for the Eagles. And look, I think I might dabble in the alt markets a little bit on this one. Like, I don't want to make the Eagles a tease leg, even though it's sitting right there staring you in the face. Because I'm afraid that they might lose by double digits. They might get into a, a, a script situation where they're just like, look, we have Dallas. We have a division matchup the, the, the following week. It's not worth taking the beating. They just went through a knockdown drag out with the Bills. If they get down double-digit double scores, the right sort of game plan to me is preserve and protect. Pick your pick your battle and go on to the next week. So I'm going to be in the alt markets a little bit, Sharpie. You want to talk me out of it?
1: I don't want to talk you out of it. I definitely don't disagree. I, I will say that um, the Eagles have like a never-say-die type attitude, but they also are a very forward-thinking organization. And I'm guessing that they're planning out all the different iterations of this game and what could happen and what they might want to do if X, Y, or Z ends up happening. Um, so I won't talk you out of it. Obviously, you dabble a little bit on the side. That's like the fun type money, the, the money that's extra, the icing on the cake type thing. If your regular bets are going to come through, then maybe you got a chance to get some of these other ones home as well. The other thing that I'll add, the last little point, I'm not going to dive into it deep. I could if I wanted to. We had a nice text thread with the Podfather last night talking about Everything about this game, cause he said, Hey, hey, Sharpie, what's your thought on this game? And I just went into like, i sending screenshots of my 48 page Word documents that I work. I, I have Word documents that are like 40 to 50 pages every single week that I'm putting things in there for each game and all my analysis. And so I sent him some of the parts about this game. But then, at the very end, we started talking about the referee situation, and so I, I resorted at that point to voice memos because I didn't want to type anything. I, went, <laughs> I was just doing like two minute long voice memo texting back and forth. I don't know if that's like what old men do or 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 what, but that's what I felt like doing. Yes. Uh, at any rate, we've got Alex Kemp on this game, and the only thing I could say, I'm not like a trying to throw out conspiracy theories here or anything like that, but I, I think all of the X machine. Everybody on social saw how the penalties were being enforced in last week's game with, you know, we had Son of Hockley referring that game, a 10 to 1 advantage for the Philadelphia Eagles against the Buffalo Bills in the first half of that game. People were in a general uproar. It would have been much worse if the Eagles were actually winning in the first half. All those penalties didn't get the Eagles to the uh, to uh a lead in the first half. Eventually, Philadelphia does win, and obviously the Buffalo fans still remember what happened in the first half of that game from a penalty perspective. Well, if you want to learn about Alex Kemp, again, I'm not going to go into all the details. There's an article up at Sharp Football Analysis. It breaks down all the refs tendencies for every single game that's being played every single week. And there's a section in detail. We broke down three games in greater detail. Alex Kemp's impact on this game, what he tends to call, who he tends to favor in these games. And I'll just give you a hint. Uh The Philadelphia Eagles have not won a game in the Nick Sirianni era with Kemp calling the game. In fact, he called both of their losses last season. Meanwhile, uh, I believe the San Francisco 49ers have an outstanding record with Kemp in there, and he's called a lot of their games. So we'll see if the refereeing ends up being like my opinion on refs in general, house just, just. Call it like the rule book says and call it fair for both teams. Don't stray outside the lines. Color within the lines. Keep it as fair as possible so that I can handicap a clean game. When refs start calling shit for one team more so than the other, that's when it bugs me. The fact of the matter is, though, that happens pretty much every single week. Like there are tendencies for these refs. And if you're not incorporating the tendency, like certain crews focus more on pass interference, which teams have generally get more pass interference, which DBs are more grabby, which refs call more offensive holding and which teams struggle in that department, uh, and are more prone to then have these calls made against them, which refs love to. Root for not root for, but like they call more penalties uh on the home team actually and lo- don't mind being played a villain and like the road teams to have some success th- because there are games like that as well. So uh you just have to understand the tendencies of these refs as well as when you're handicapping these games and we've laid it out there. Uh Alex Kemp should be interesting uh in that department. Any thoughts
0: there, House, before we jump to a quick break? Well, just for the purposes of adding in additional data, this is a take that for data. This is the point. Like is, this is uh, additional information as you try and make your own cap and, and build your own level of confidence in the side or, or angle that you want to play. And, you know, we are, we've talked about this at various times over the course of the season, a handful of times in a negative kind of manner because we've we've felt like, you know, there's been some, some outrageous referee conduct, but all we want to do is make sure that as you listen to the two of us talk this thing through, that you have the access to the same stuff that we're thinking about that we're building into our own plays. Uh, and thank God for the sharp analytics that are d- breaking down all these games in detail. So as a eager consumer of that content, I'm enjoying it, and it's helping me think these things through. But yeah, you mentioned it. It's time for a break. When we come back, we've got scanning the board. We're looking for another game with a peculiar line movement from the summer to this current moment. And then we're going to look to to continue the success with uh, bet the house. And we've yeah. got our betting buddies, everybody, some really thoughtful combinations showing up on the X machine. Great job by all the betting buddies out there. But let's take this break and then come back and get through some more of these games. And we're
1: back. Let's talk about scanning the board. We've got a big game on deck. The Houston Texans versus the Denver Broncos. And, and Joe House, here's what I want to talk to you about. When I opened my book and I went back to look at this number, because this line right now is the Houston Texans laying three and a half points at home against the Denver Broncos. You say, okay, that makes sense. You know, Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud, great quarterback. Russell Wilson, not a great quarterback. Skating by with a lot of luck. Uh, What was this line back in the summer. And I went back and looked and in the summer, this line was actually the Denver Broncos laying three and a half points to the Houston Texans. So the line was the exact reverse as what the line currently is. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, what, what do we think about the Denver Broncos in the summer? Like, what was our expectations for this team? Well, they were supposed to win eight and a half games. That was a preseason win uh total. Well, they're six and five right now. If they go three and three the rest of the season, just flip coin 500, they're going over their win total. Uh, they were supposed to finish number three in the AFC West. They're certainly sitting number two right now. So at worst, they're on par with preseason expectations for this team. So I said, okay, what are the preseason expectations for the Houston Texans if the Broncos haven't really dropped at all? And that's where, obviously, there's a massive difference, right? They're one win away from exceeding their six-and-a-half-point win total. Instead of sitting number four in the AFC South, they are currently number three. But they could make some moves here for a late-season charge, and obviously, C.J. Stroud is exceeding all expectations. But is that improvement for the Texans – Enough to make this go from a three and a half point home underdog this summer to now a three and a half point home favorite, seven full points. So, I want to ask you first your thoughts and your handicap for the Texans hosting the Denver Broncos, all the magic that Denver's been able to do with these turnovers. How's that impacted your thought process on this game? Who do you think covers
0: the spread here? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, to me, there are two questions. Uh, As you formulate a strategy for dealing with this game and my my strong, you know, uh, intestinal commitment is to the Houston Texans in this situation. But the first question you have to ask is, is this game the one where this ridiculous turnover, good fortune that the Denver Broncos have been enjoying? finally disappears, does regression present itself in terms of this, uh, turnover, um, just, just this, this, this crazy turnover advantage that Denver has created. And in some respect, you know, there is a huge luck element to it, but also kudos to Denver. I mean, if you go into the nature of a lot of these turnovers, um, they they have recovered and you know a ridiculous number of fumbles right. They fumbles happen in games, and the Denver Broncos have been recovering them over the last five games. This most recent game against the Browns, the difference between these two teams. This game was seventeen to twelve in the fourth quarter, and 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 the Browns ended up the game with five fumbles, three of them lost. They gave the game away, the Cleveland Browns. They served it up on a platter, and it ended up with this score result that doesn't really reflect, you know, um, the the how close it was. It was inside of a one score game, and yes, I am a little bitter about missing out on my teaser leg in that situation. But for for Denver, what you're really trying to handicap is it. What's the likelihood of them continuing this turnover success? Because what the turnover success has produced is short field offense. Denver's offense is not impressive. They they haven't really taken advantage of the short field they've been given. I think of, you know, the over the last sort of, you know, 15 turnover to the plus for them, they've scored nine times, two touchdowns and seven field goals. I think what I've seen stats wise. So uh, you know, that that's sort of one aspect of this handicap. The second piece to me is can you live with the hook? Because I love Houston by three. I love them more by two and a half. I honestly don't really have any interest in playing Houston minus three and a half. I I understand why the market has landed there, but I don't really have any interest in playing the spread at that number. So for me and and I'm, you know, you don't, need to hear my full uh, rendition of all of the, the praise that C.J. Stroud deserves. Um, I do think that the Texans offense matches up nicely against this Denver defense, um, and so if the opportunism isn't there for the Denver defense, then I do like Houston in this circumstance. So that that's how I'm thinking about it, Warren Sharp. Okay, so first of all, I
1: will tell you that if you are waiting for the three, you may not have to wait very much longer. because. While FanDuel still is Houston minus three and a half, they're down to even money, plus 100 to lay three and a half. The rest of the marketplace this evening has taken some Denver Broncos money, and this line is down to three pretty much every spot that I am looking at aside from FanDuel. Um, so you probably won't have to wait very much longer. Now, that being said, this is not like a massive sharp position aligning here with the Denver Broncos and the public's all on the Houston Texans. In fact... Um, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that they like the Denver Broncos here. Most of what I'm hearing is the points that you have raised with all the luck and it's got to regress. And certainly that's helped the Denver Broncos through their last, you know, several game winning streak, five, six game winning streak, and is going to come crashing down uh, and burn against the Houston Texans. I, I don't disagree that the luck is going to run out at some point in time. But what I want to do is introduce a different thought process to handicapping this game. And that is, I'm looking at this Denver Broncos squad, and I am looking at the strength of defenses that this offense has gone up against. And they have played on the season to date, the number one toughest schedule of opposing offense, of opposing defenses. That is despite the fact, House, that the first month of the season, they've played the fifth easiest schedule. So how does that compute? How do you play the toughest overall, but the first four weeks are the fifth easiest? Well, that sure as shit means that after those first four weeks, you must have played a brutal schedule. And sure enough, if you look at their schedule since week five and you look out strength of schedule, i got a graphic on it that lays out which uh, offenses played the toughest defenses. The Broncos are th- number 32 by a long shot. They stand apart from the pack graphically in terms of the difficulty of the defenses they've played. In that span, they have played defenses that rank number one, that's the Browns, number three, the Jets, number four, the Chiefs, they played them twice, number nine, Vikings, number 10, Bills, and number 15, Packers. It's been an absolute brutal stretch of defenses. Now they're emerging from the other side of that ridiculous stretch from week five onward, think about how long ago week five was. Now we're in week 13. They're emerging from that stretch. They're playing the number 21 ranked defense of the Houston Texans. They rank number 21 defensively despite playing the sixth easiest schedule of opposing offenses. The Texans' pass defense is 10th worst. They rank 10th worst despite playing the third easiest schedule of opposing passing offenses. So as scary as it is to imagine I actually kind of think that Russell Wilson could have a decent game here. He's finally not going up against these brutally top 10, top five defenses. He's going up against the 10th worst pass defense that's played the third easiest schedule of opposing offenses. This analogy will really, I think, hit home with you and Simmons when I share it. But Russell Wilson and this Denver Broncos offense with Sean Payton is a modern day NBA team that just figured out how to utilize analytics. And all they want to do is layups, dunks, and three-pointers. Okay, that's all they really want to do. So they are averaging... Uh, the highest rate of passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage. 30% of all their passes are thrown behind the line of scrimmage. No other team throws more. Those are layups, right? Those are layups to get the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands and to get some yardage away from the offensive line going up in space. Those are the layups. They also throw the fifth highest rate of passes deep down the field. Those are your three-pointers. So they they don't really do much in the mid-range. If they're number one most behind the line of scrimmage, and number five most deep down the field, then they probably aren't throwing much in the mid-range. And that's exactly what they aren't doing. And if you look, this Houston Texans defense, they are terrible on passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage defending those. They are terrible defending deep passes. And in fact, if you look at this stretch from week five onward, Just in general, the Houston Texans pass defense, they rank number 30 in yards per attempt allowed, number 29 in success rate, number 28 in EPA per attempt, number 28 in completion rate. That's despite going up against this list of quarterbacks during that span. Desmond Ritter, Bryce Young, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield... Then you got Kyler Murray in one of his first games back. You got Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that is the eighth easiest schedule of passing attacks and your bottom five across all of those metrics. Some terrible quarterbacks mixed in there. This is just a difficult situation, in my opinion, for the Houston Texans defense. I think it's a significant step down in quality of competition that the Broncos defense is going to be going up against. And for those reasons... I'm willing to say that that sort of offsets some of this luck that I think will ultimately regress here. And I'm a little bit on my own island and Denver could get blown out, but I kind of wanted to back the Denver Broncos catching the points in this spot as opposed to joining in with the drumbeat of what I've heard everybody talking about, which is the turnovers. And certainly that's definitely a factor in the handicap, but I'm I'm utilizing this element and and superseding that, if you will.
0: You know what, you're urging some caution here. And when you think back to the original point that you you made when we started talking here, you go to to governing principles with this handicapping. Is a seven point line movement really justified here? Can we really get ourselves behind a Houston Texans team that was forecasted to win, you know, six and a half games and and a home favorite? Of you know, it's not just the normal sort of home home field advantage. We're layering on, you know, you you you've done the math. Though. The genuine home field advantage is like a point and a half, if that. These days, uh, you know, the conventional market home field advantage is two and a half points, and we're really for most of this week up until this point now. Laying three and a half. All right, all right. I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm and, gonna and the other thing, has, I mean,
1: like you look at the Houston Texans, and I, I, I was on the CJ Shroud bandwagon as early as almost anybody, right? Like I, my, my guys loved him this off season. The guys that write for my site that do their scouting stuff, they thought he was the best quarterback in this class. So I was already uh, predisposed to have high opinions of him. And once I saw how they started to work with him with the heavier personnel that week three game, I was like, boom, okay, CJ Stroud, you know, let, let, let's get ahead of this curve. But this team, you look at, uh, they haven't covered a single spread that they've been favored on the season. And the only games that they've been favored in, think about these teams that they've played, the Panthers, the Colts, uh the Bucks, and the Cardinals. Like I get it. Denver's not a great team, but I would put Denver above all of those other teams. And you know, CJ Stroud, you know, maybe maybe he gets me here. Maybe he gets me, but they certainly sure. strike me as a team that Bobby Sloak, Will try to run the football when they're up late. They're gonna not try to go. I mean, Russ might get uh sorry, CJ Stroud might get pressured a lot in this game potentially because they're down, they're down one starting tackle. The the other one is banged up a little bit, and the Denver might get be able to get a little bit of pressure here. Do you think that they're gonna have him throw a ton of passes when the run game might work because you can run on Denver. Like that's, that's the biggest fear for me in backing Denver spend enough time on this game. But uh, that's my one major concern here is aside from just CJ Stroud's brilliance and being able to create and extend plays and make things happen out of structure is Denver's terrible run defense and the elements that I think the Texans are going to be able to get things done on the ground. Uh, But That's just one game out of many this week. We still have buys. We don't have a lot of games to handicap next week. There's no more buys. We got to dig through more games next week. We were able to dive into some of these in a little bit more deeper fashion before we get into the full 16 game card once again next week. But House, you're sitting at seven and five on the season with Bet the House. You're feeling pretty good right now, but we need to get another winner in the gate here for Week 13. This is your lucky Week 13. I don't believe in superstition. There's nothing unlucky about the number 13 when it comes to betting in Week 13. I just went two and zero on my bets on uh, Thursday night football here, so I can speak, you know, from authority. There's nothing unlucky about Week 13. What do you got for us? What are you mulling over, and have you made a decision yet? Yeah. So,
0: in the first place, you've inspired me this week. We're gonna bring out. We we have Thanksgiving in our rearview mirror. It's officially pie season. We're gonna have two slices, Sharpie, from here maybe all the way through the rest of the, because look, it's it's cold outside. It's time to like snuggle in, sit down, enjoy every everything that's on these these great football. And by, by the way, quick quick side note, I will do this. I, what the point I'm gonna to get to is. I'm going to make two bet the house wagers this week. One of them is going to be a money line parlay and the other is going to be a teaser. And the teaser is for sure going to be the Tennessee Titans from one and a half up to seven and a half. Uh, assuming that number is there for us and the Jacksonville Jaguars from, from eight and a half point favorites down to two and a half. We can very quickly just talk about how bad the Bengals defense is. That's really the 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 cap for that situation. We're not asking Jacksonville to do extraordinary things. And poor Big Lou. He did the best he could. It was smoke and mirrors all season long for Big Lou. Maybe he he he's he could be interested in coming to the mid-Atlantic. You know, I think Washington could be looking for a new head coach, but do you have any reason to talk me out of this Jacksonville tease leg? No, I mean, look, you can, in my world, you can triple stamp
1: a double stamp, uh, dumb and dumber style, and I will triple stamp this double stamp teaser. I agree. I think it's a great teaser. I like Jacksonville. Jacksonville scares the crap out of me. Let's put it bluntly, but I still think it's a great teaser leg. You do have to wait till Monday Night Football. You do have to get them to cash, but the biggest issue here for the Cincinnati Bengals is the way that you want to attack the Jaguars is through the air because the Jaguars are a total pass funnel defense. Their pass defense isn't great. Their run defense, is one of the best in the NFL. Well, now you got Jake Browning. And if you watch last week's game, unless they figure out a way how to design a lot more, if they spent the whole week designing tip ball pass drills and, and oh incorporating that into the offense, then maybe <laughs> is the Cincinnati Bengals the only chance? could win this game outright. But unless they're calling the tip pass play, uh, you know, 20 times this game, it's unlikely that Jake Browning's going to have a good enough game through the air to do enough damage. They're probably not going to have a lot of success running the football. And then the only thing that boils down to me on the other side is just, can you get pressure on Trevor Lawrence or not? That's the it. He's got the biggest splits in the NFL, whether he's kept clean or whether he's pressured. If the Cincinnati Bengals can't get pressure on him, he's going to be okay. The Jaguars are going to end up winning this game. I like it in the teaser. Like, I like your teaser.
0: I am going to do a very quick bonus. We don't do this often on this show, this NFL-focused show, but we don't have these extraordinary college football championship game situations, and there's one that I want you to validate for me. I have made an uncomfortable wager on the Michigan Wolverines in the first half covering the 13 and half point spread. Now, I think that, the combination of motivation by that, that, that franchise. And yes, I'm calling it a franchise alongside with the, I haven't encountered offensive ineptitude like this since I watched, you know, I I can't, I can't even make a a C words joke out of it because the C words are good on offense. Now it's, it's what Iowa is doing on the football field is setting the game back a hundred years Michigan minus 13 and a half first half spread. That's that's might be my lock of the of the entire season, even though we don't do college on this show.
1: Yeah. And as a result of not doing college on this show, uh, I have bet a couple college games this week. That was not one of them. I don't really have a strong opinion there, Um, but I will absolutely cheer you in if that's where you're putting your money. Are you? incorporating that into any other NFL bets, like from a
0: parlay style, or are you just simply playing that standalone fashion? I do. You know, I do love a, a cross sport, a nice cross sport parlay. I'm not afraid of it. I haven't gotten that far yet, but let's, before I give the second part of my NFL bet, the house, uh, combination. I need, I want to mull it over, but let me see if I get some inspiration from the betting buddies cause we had a terrific response. Great job by everybody out there. Some really thoughtful combinations, some propositions, some some game scripts uh, based stuff. it's It's been very, very good. Thank you all for chiming in with your best thoughts and best efforts here, right? Sharpie? Absolutely. So let me remind you all of the ground rules. You not
1: only get a shot to be shouted out on the show and be made famous by House and myself on the Ringer Gambling Show, but you also get an opportunity if we select your wager to be the Betting Buddies official selection of the week to win a reward from FanDuel. And that reward is something that I guarantee you every single one of you would Really, really, really appreciate. That's all I can. Uh, it's a secretive. It's just like Derek Carr figuring out the r- secret to the red zone, but he doesn't really want to utilize the answer in his press conference. Uh, producer Mike had enough of Derek Carr. His time in Las Vegas with the Raiders to appreciate where I'm going with this one. But So we'll keep this a secret. But in order to qualify, all you have to do is pick any type of bet, side, total, teaser, parlay same game parlay what have you player props etc and just bet it for any amount at FanDuel and include that screenshot as you submit to Joe House's you know call to action call to arms when he raises that bat signal halftime of the Thursday night game and we've selected three guys and like House said A lot of selections here. A lot of entries were great. A lot of very good ones this week. It was hard to narrow it down to these three, but I'm going to roll out three for you, House. I want your thoughts, okay? First one comes from Junior Jones, Mr. T35LA. He's got a... He calls it KC's a first-half team and Green Bay's a second-half team. Parlay, same game parlay. He's running with the Kansas City Chiefs minus three-and-a-half in the first half. He's got the Green Bay Packers plus two-and-a-half in the second half. Parlay those together, pays out plus 239 at FanDuel Sportsbook. What do you think about that one?
0: I mean, Mr. T knows what he's talking about. I pity the fool that doesn't consider a very sharp, you know, well-considered, well-judged kind of a uh, uh, two legger like, like this one, the um, f- fun thing about this is it lends itself to my cap of this game, which is I, I like green Bay getting the points. I think it's a tale of two teams, which is kind of what you would expect with a relatively young inexperienced kind of situation like green Bay coming out from under the shadow of Aaron Rodgers, and we've seen a different um, Jordan Love over these last handful of games, but they have been absolutely atrocious in the first half of games and much, much, much better in the second half of games. By contradistinction, the Kansas City Chiefs, the only thing you can count on in addition to death and taxes is the under in the second half total of Kansas City Chiefs games because they've gone under in every single one of their, their games. So I like this two-legger um, quite a bit. It, it it speaks to, it's a very nice uh, combination and observation of way um, that these two teams have been playing this season. Great job by the Mr. T submitter. Uh, what else do we got?
1: Okay, so the next one up is from Tom, who goes by the handle beastly underscore Bronco on X. Oh, He's got, The young Texan can't handle the bucking Bronco parlay. Cortland Sutton (laughs) receiving yards prop. He's gone five to two, five and two in his last seven. Team's wide receiver one receiving yards has gone seven and oh against the Houston Texans in the last seven. And then you've got. Javante Williams, over 55 and a half rushing yards because Javante Williams has gone over this in six of the last seven games as well. They're the key components to the Broncos' offensive success. So he is parlaying, same game parlay at FanDuel Sportsbook. Denver plus three and a half. Sutton over 57 and a half receiving yards. Javante over 55 and a half rushing yards. Pays out plus 405 on FanDuel. Mm. Thoughts? Hmm.
0: You know, I kind of like it there. There are, you know, Denver likes to run the ball on early downs. They've been doing it. They're number one in the NFL since week seven in that. Now the Texans defense has been good against defending the run on, on early downs, but I, I like the game script. Uh, if, if, you know, if, if you subscribe to the Warren sharp sort of approach to this game, there is a lot to consider here. and, and for sure, the numbers back it up. I appreciate the in-depth research for the Beastly Bronco. Uh, this one's under consideration. Let's keep going, Sharpie. Okay. And this
1: guy, he he submitted his ticket with only 20% on his phone. So hopefully he charged it since he submitted this. And uh, <laughs> now we'll go to the last one. George, his name is at Stat Greek, and he's got a whopper here for us. Uh, it looks like he's got four different legs, uh, actually, and one is a... a, a uh, uh full halftime full game uh parlay in and of itself. So it's on the 49ers. He lo- he loves this action. He's got 49ers are gonna score over 24 and a half points. The 49ers are gonna win the first half and the full game. The uh he's got Brock Purdy's gonna go over one and a half passing touchdowns, and Brandon Ayuk's gonna have 50 plus yards. Parlay that whole kit and caboodle together of correlation, which reduces your payout a little bit, of course. Uh and that's plus four twenty eight, but he's used a thirty percent profit boost at FanDuel to jack this
0: up to plus five five seven. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. Great, great job. What What's the gentleman's name? George at Stat Greek. Oh, Stat Greek. Yes, of course. How could I forget? Uh, that's amazing and tremendous use of, of of the boost. This fits what I was asking earlier. In terms of you know ways of building out a script that that that's ha- that's San Francisco dominant, it runs in the direction of the Niners just you know sort of blowing out the Eagles, not on a full blowout, but um, man, this is a hard one this week, uh, Sharpie. I don't, I'm not sure. I, I want to produce a winner, and we we owe the good people out there a betting buddy's winner. We've only had one or two the entire season. So I'm going to shy away from the four-legger. And I also, I'm worried that the two-legger that features the, you know, Green Bay uh, second half, Chiefs first half, I'm worried that that's so sharp that it's almost square now. So, I, I understand that 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 logic doesn't make any sense, but that's it's just just follow me along here. I think I'm gonna go with the Beastly Bronco because you've talked me into this idea of, you know this this the three and a half is just too much. And I think both of the um, player props are very achievable in view of, you know, the susceptibility of the Texans uh, defense. Let's go with Beastly Bronco. Okay. The one thing I can say is that
1: Beastly Bronco came up with this prop before he heard our podcast in which I created the narrative that the three and a half might be too much. So I don't feel bad if his part, if his parlay here loses because he based it on my analysis because he came up with it <laughs> independent. I will say that you can blame me for picking this one. If we end up getting to that point and it does end up losing, but Beastly Bronco, you are the winner. Make sure you guys go back next Thursday to Mr. House's tweet at halftime and hit that up for some of your bets and props and parlays that you end up rolling with. Before we get to your bet the house and finalize that house, I do want to throw one quick thing to you. And that is while we were reviewing these, I did a little bit of computations here at the FanDuel Sportsbook. And if you just want to go money line Parlay on a couple of, of juicy nuggets here, you can parlay the Michigan Wolverines first half to the Jacksonville Jaguars to win the game on Monday night, to a fade of your Washington Sea words, Miami Dolphins, those three money lines parlayed together is minus 160, which is like 10 cents more than a seven point teaser at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's not the end of the world to go to that degree and it's minus 160. So, you know, privately, if you like that, go ahead and throw a few shekels on it, but I wanted to let you know that that is an option over at FanDuel.
0: Well, this is so so terrific. We're doing all of this great work for all the gambling gurus out here. I mean, it's literally like four or five different actionable plays, and this is you know what we're trying to do. It's time to get serious because the playoffs are around the corner. These teams are positioning themselves for the playoffs, and in that vein, I have a three leg money line parlay. We, I, I, I already shared my enthusiasm for San Francisco. We're gonna go ahead and put Miami in it because you know we 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 can't come up with the the game script for the C words to be competitive. Miami does every single thing good that Washington does bad on defense. Good versus bad. That's the analysis. That's the handicap. And then a game that we didn't touch on, but um, I just think it's such a bad situation at the quarterback position. I like the Los Angeles Rams. I don't really want to lay points, but Cleveland is at Los Angeles after being in Denver last week. It seems like Cleveland is going to play Joe Flacco at quarterback because I guess what? Joe Montana was not available. <laughs> I, I mean, what, what what are we doing going into the museum and bringing out mummies? I don't understand the point of that, but that three leg parlay pays plus two twenty. Uh, give me a quick reaction to this Rams and the, really this Cleveland Browns quarterback situation. I mean, Joe Flacco's elite. That's all you
1: need to know. I I don't know. Go go go. Figure. Um, we'll see. I mean, that's the thing. That's this. Starting Joe Flacco, if nothing else, is making me want to tune in to watch this game. So kudos to the NFL for <laughs> yes. you know, allowing this to occur in the 4 p.m. window so that during commercial timeouts of the 49ers-Eagles game, we will definitely have something to tune into and see how Joe Flacco is getting around the field uh, on his, his crutches and or wheelchair. Uh, no, but in all <laughs> seriousness, I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does out there. Uh, And and I'm looking forward to that as well. So let's wish you good luck on Thank your you. bet Thank the house you. for this week. Absolutely. We're going to be rooting for you. Let's wish our beastly Bronco luck for his parlay. Everybody out there, that's going to do it. Thank you guys for listening. The Ringer Gambling Show will return on Monday when the East Coast Bias guys get back together to preview Monday Night Football. Thanks to Joe Howell for joining me, and to Mike Wargon and Steve Cerruti for producing this episode. Good luck with all your bets this weekend.
0: You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342. In Connecticut, you can call 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Kansas, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. In Louisiana, 1-877-770. Stop. Visit in Maryland, mdgamblinghelp.org. dot org. In West Virginia, you can visit one eight hundred gambler net. Or in Wyoming, you can call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema dot org or call eight hundred three two seven five zero five zero. For 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call in New York, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.